This is Amplify, a podcast for people that want to crush life by learning from the minds of high performers. So take a deep breath in and get ready to become more, live more, and give more. Welcome to another episode of the Amplify podcast. I'm John Templeton, and joining me today is Dr. Teresa Bullard. Um, Dr. Teresa Bullard is a PhD physicist and the host of Mystery Teachings on Gaia TV. She's an international spiritual teacher with the Modern Mystery School. She emerges science, ancient wisdom, and powerful time-tested techniques for harnessing consciousness. Dr. Teresa Bullard, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to the conversation. <laughs> so, me too. Like, I really, um, you know, I've watched you on Mystery Teachings and I've stalked you on, on, I've stalked you on Instagram. Um, and, and I watched an episode actually where you were interviewed and, and your life is not a normal life. I mean, you studied so many things. How does one, how does one end up as a spiritual teacher on Gaia, on mystery teachings? How, how does one, how does one get there? <laughs> Wow. Well, I would say it was synchronicity that guided me every step of the way. Uh, the universe at some level had a plan, um, but I had to also be ready to step into that plan. So, you know, I was first pursuing my PhD in physics and planning to become a research scientist. But then in the process of that, I realized, oh, you know, this isn't actually fulfilling me. And I felt like something really important was missing. And I, I found myself ra rather out of balance by immersing myself into 80 hours of left brain physics type stuff per week. And after, you know, about a year and then another year, a couple of years in, I was just like, all right, something's really got to give here. And I need to find what's going to bring that sense of balance and meaning and well-being back into my life. And, and I kind of just stumbled on it was spirituality was the key because I, I brought back in all these different aspects I'd had prior like athletics and social time and creative hobbies and you know more diversity in my life and and it all helped create greater sense of like okay well I feel better but I'm there's still something key to my sense of joy and purpose and meaning mm -hmm. that was missing and spirituality ended up being the key ingredient and so then when I dove into pursuing the spiritual it was like anything I was going to believe spiritually had to complement what I knew to be true scientifically. It couldn't negate or conflict because mm -hmm. uh, I was just far too educated and far too deep in my thought processes to just go on blind faith or dogma. So I dove into all this intersection between science and consciousness, science and spirituality, where like Eastern philosophy meets quantum physics and things like that. And I got really excited. It, it, it lit the spark. It lit that sense of passion and, and like um, awe, you know, at how amazing it is that these ancient spiritual teachings have had these concepts um, it may be in a metaphorical language, but they've had these concepts for thousands of years. And now our modern science is just starting to come around to it with a mathematical understanding and a more practical grounded understanding. And so then I really wanted to merge the two together. Like, how can we take this further, not just from a philosophical perspective, but how can we apply it? How can we make it practical? And so that's when I then ended up putting in a way I just put a request out to the universe like help me find my path help me find my spiritual community the people that'll 
resonate at that same wavelength and, and, and in a way that I can really start to bridge the science with the spiritual and um, in a practical way where it really makes a difference, where we can apply it in our life. And then synchronicity just led me to somebody uh, associated with the Modern Mystery School. And that was then my introduction into things like uh, sacred geometry and hermetic uh, teachings and alchemy and uh, just the Western path, uh, a Kabbalah, uh, that really I found was um, they're spiritual, but in a scientific way. Mm -hmm. you know, so they really dig deep into these questions about why and what's the purpose and what about that and you know where do we fit into the whole thing and and it was much more um, really really deep and also very scientific in their way of thinking so it fit with a, a scientific way it fit with a western way of thinking versus just the eastern philosophies which can sometimes be very um beautiful but very zen very like koans you know <laughs> kind of paradoxical to us at times um and then what really impressed me was the tools the very practical exercises and tools and applications so that it wasn't just about knowledge it was about here's how to live this right here's how to apply this in your life mm -hmm. and then see for yourself those transformations and i did i saw so much transformation in my life and then I, it, it really transformed my course to where I wanted to help teach this stuff because I saw the difference it made in people's lives. Yeah, wow. And so going from, going from science, I'm guessing like a little geeky girl maybe, and who was really, oh, you into sports as well, but-, but I was into but, sports. I was more of an athlete than a geek, okay. <laughs> but, but I was smart, so. <laughs> in, intellectual, is that, is that a better word? Intellectual, yeah, intellectual. yeah definitely. <laughs> to, to, to transition from intellect, because I, I, I meet a lot of science-based people now, and it's almost like their intellect is their downfall. It's almost like mm -hmm. that's what's actually blocking this um, spiritual side in because it, maybe they can't make sense of it. What's been your understanding there? Mm, it's a good it's a good observation because if we get too analytical about everything then you know something spiritual or intuitive might happen but our analytical mind tries to rationalize it away or dismiss it and so um, what I found as I was getting deeper and deeper into my physics training is that uh, we were almost programmed to be more and more skeptical about things. Mm -hmm. And and to the point where also your credibility is everything. And if you start believing in, you know, spiritual or woo-woo kind of stuff, you're going to lose your credibility over here in the scientific field. And so often it's not that spirituality and science don't blend. It's more that there's a there's a social stigma within the scientific community um, that that threatens your credibility if you believe in something non-physical. And so that I think is more of a political, social kind of peer pressure type thing. Um, and it's, and it's, you know, there's a strong, very vocal group of atheistic scientists, but there is just also as many who do believe in spirit. They just don't talk about it as much, or they feel like they can't say much about it. So they're, they're going to talk about what they know and what they feel they can very um, groundedly say something about versus just, you know, hypothesize. But when you get, when you go back just a hundred years to the time when, you know, the, the 
brilliant, most brilliant minds on the planet were discovering quantum physics, these very spiritual concepts were brought into the conversation very actively by people like Einstein and, and uh, Pauli and Bohr, you know, they were, they were really discussing all of this. But then, you know, materialists kind of came in again and just said, let's, let's just get back to the business of science and technology and what we, what we can say for sure something about what we know how to control and just kind of leave this philosophical conversation to the side. So it's not that they don't agree. It's just there's, you know, there's a challenge there. And so I think with people who are scientific and analytical and intellectual about things, one of the things I had to learn, you know, I, I had my, my skepticism challenged a lot. Um, and I, at the same time, I always had the advantage of having a little bit of intuitive side to me. Uh, I grew up with parents, like especially a mother who is very intuitive and very into sort of um, metaphysical stuff. And, and then on the other side, my, my dad was very grounded. And, you know, so I had this sort of contrast of the two approaches from my upbringing anyway. So it was always sort of a possibility for me. So that helped, but I did learn that I had to um, catch myself when an intuitive thought would come forward, some, maybe some spiritual guidance or insight or some intuitive thought would come forward, but it wouldn't compute with my logic. Mm -hmm. And my left brain or my logical side would just say, oh, that's ridiculous. Why would you do that? Or why would you think about that? And it would just kind of dismiss it away. And, and then I realized though, that those intuitive hits were accurate. And so, you know, it, I had all these little examples of, of things like just something silly, like, oh, you need to take your credit card into the chiropractor today. And then my other side would be like, well, that's ridiculous because my credit card's on file with the chiropractor. Why would I take it in? And then I go into the chiropractor and they're like, oh, your credit card expired. We need your credit card. Yeah. You know, so I had all these like little opportunities to see how my rational mind was dismissing my intuitive. And then I started to challenge myself to open up more and listen to that intuitive voice and, and to catch it when I was dismissing it and then just ask, well, what's the harm in seeing if this is true or not true, right? So let's mm -hmm. just follow this and see where it goes. If there's no harm in following it, let's just give it a shot. And then I started listening more and more and it opened up um, to that much more intuitive side. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had to let go of some of that not discernment, right? There's a difference between skepticism and discernment. So we have to always be discerning, but you also have to have an open mind um, rather than this sort of skeptical bias. And it was, a, it was an unprogramming and a reprogramming process that I had to go through. Yeah, I love that. And can, because you understand the science, can you, can you scientifically back up what is happening at that intuitive level or is, is that not happened yet? Oh yeah, sure. So your right brain, for example, works about 800 times faster than your left brain. Mm -hmm. And just one example, right? I mean, it, it can be brought down to the brain, not that consciousness is within the brain. I don't believe that, but mm -hmm. it is, it, it's like our brain is our computer processor for mm -hmm. our consciousness and the stimulus that we're receiving. And so the right hemisphere is actually operating faster and more non-linearly than the left hemisphere. Mm -hmm. And so the left hemisphere tends to be our logical, <laughs> rational, you know, put everything in boxes, language oriented, numbers oriented kind of side. And then our right brain tends to be more gestalt, more um, creative, more intuitive, more relationship oriented, mm -hmm. uh, more feeling oriented. 
and it's the, the right brain is also the gateway to the limbic system and then to the to the old brain and so forth where you really get more of the intuitive um, senses like the extrasensory perceptions start coming through more from the old brain uh, or you know just as an example like tingles on the back of your neck or the heart little heart palpitation or a shift in your breathing like those are what we would call somatic body um, you know experiences mm -hmm. that are controlled by the old brain for most people they're unconscious of what's going on at that level but you can i have found that you can get more and more conscious of more, and more it's really just a matter of paying attention to and becoming more aware of those deep somatic system responses which are indicators of things you need to be paying attention to in your environment in your field at a spiritual level you know it can come through so i think there's a very neurological brain oriented explanation for how intuition and spiritual um, experiences, things like meditation, visions, uh, the feeling you get in Cheeto. Yeah, who, go ahead. Who, who told you to bring the credit card? Like where is- Where did that now, come from? Yeah, where did that, <laughs> is there, is there a future you? Is time non-linear? So it's like the message is happening at the same time. Is there anything that you could share there? could be all of the above, right? It could be our, our. I mean, we could call it our, our higher self. We could call it our, our greater um, true self, eternal being. So in, in my mystery teaching series, I talk about the true you that's sort of like here, we're maybe living almost like a, a, a holographic projection from some higher reality. And in that higher reality, our true consciousness, our, our spirit, you know, our true self really resides at some higher dimension than just this three-dimensional physicality we experience and that from that place they're seeing a lot of um like parallel lives happening all at once simultaneously it time doesn't flow the same way and so it could be sending in you know our, our higher self could be sending in signals like oh you need to do this you need to do that it could also be other you know spirit intelligences i don't think it's just us i think there are also other spirit intelligences that are operating at many different planes many different dimensions not just those who are physically incarnated mm -hmm. and you know they could maybe kind of send signals in uh, through our aura, through our soul to, to give us little, like, you know, it's a lot of it's through thought and, uh, ESP. And, and to anyone who might be listening and going, this sounds crazy. <laughs> is, is there any, is there any tangible evidence of like spirit existing? Not the, not the symptoms of it, but like, so like getting a message is kind of like a symptom. Is there, is there anything tangible existence I'm curious. I have no idea of of spirit existing or or other 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 entities. Almost like the way I pictured my head is, and like 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 us, but vibrating at a different frequency. And so they are just not in our light spectrum. They're not in our hearing spectrum. So it's, it's just, so it's coming from another being, but they're yeah. just at a different vibratory rate. Is there any evidence of that? Yeah. Well, the challenge is that. Um, when you ask for tangible evidence, you're asking for something that fits within the narrow range of our five physical senses, right? Which is a really narrow range of sensitivity to see it, feel it, hear it, uh, smell it, touch it, right? And even our scientific detectors, they're focused on particle-oriented um, 
tangible things versus maybe a field of consciousness. And so they don't know how to detect it because they're not really opening up to, it's a whole new paradigm way of thinking about mm -hmm. things to start to figure out how do we, how do we bridge that gap from the spiritual to the physical to be able to bring that kind of tangible evidence. But there are some who have, who have, you know, claimed to capture spirits on camera, for example. Um, I, I've seen a number of, you know, images where you see orbs, you see, you know, kind of ethereal floaty looking things that have been captured even on digital cameras, uh, definitely through like Karelian photography, you can capture energy fields, GDV, uh, which is a gas discharge uh, voltage kind of thing that Konstantin Krokov, who is a physicist in Russia has made, GDV and, and something they call the Sputnik has also been able to capture uh, spikes in the energy field when you know consciousness of people comes to a certain level or um, or something energetically spiritually shifts within the field. So there is some evidence there, but it's mm -hmm. not the kind of evidence you're going to find in like a mainstream physics peer reviewed journal because there's just a bias that you know like there's. Um, Actually, there's a really good book by Dean Radin. Who, it's called Real Magic. And he just breaks down, like, here are the evidences of non-local consciousness and um, ESP. Here's evidence even of, you know, real magic, like from thought to manifestation and how that happens. Here's evidence of, you know, multiple things. And, and yet, he, and he tries to demystify it, simplify it and so forth. And yet, even though there's very valid research that's been done, it can't, it won't get published in the mainstream journals because they just have their biases against it. So they just wait it away as oh it's pseudoscience you know because it doesn't fit within their paradigms so yeah yeah and do you think moving forward um it's going to be more accepted and, and people are going to start to go well look traditional um i want to call it like traditional physics this 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 isn't the end there's got to be more to it and as time goes on are people going to reject it more or accept it more do you think Accept or reject more of what? The, the spiritual side or the traditional yeah, science? The, the spiritual spiritual side. I think that um, more and more people are already waking up and starting to gravitate towards more spiritual awareness or at least consciousness. You know, maybe it's not spiritual in the sense of some God out there, but maybe it's that we are, you know, that eternal energy and consciousness and um, it ultimately comes back down to our own awareness of ourself. And so right now, science itself is being challenged to break out of its box and to, you know, look for new ways of approaching science to bring greater understanding and unified field theories and so forth. So even science is being push to make really big creative leaps. And you have more and more scientists who are actually finding, you know, they might have started off atheistic. And then as they, if they keep an open mind, right, without le like suspending the bias and just keep an open mind and follow the trail, both of logic and data, if they're willing to shift that perspective, they are finding themselves actually going more and more to the idea that consciousness is primary, that we, that the universe is like a great thought more so than a great machine. And, um, so I think more and more it is starting to become accepted. And even when I was in graduate school, it was like, oh, you can't talk about this stuff. But now you have 
professors at universities in science, physics in particular, who are starting to open up that conversation more. And they're, they're, they're undergraduates and their graduate students, like Z generation, millennial generation, like they're pushing the conversation because they want to know. Mm. So I think it is, there is more and more openness coming uh, as it spreads. But I think it's also really important at the same time, which is where I think some scientists tend to go to the other extreme is that, you know, in the new age, you do have a lot of um, very loose use of scientific principles and without, you know, really understanding the deeper aspects of it. And so I think we have to be careful, you know, it's not a new age thing, but it's also not a just purely materialistic type of thing. Um, somewhere in the middle, you know, there's room for spiritual and physical to combine, combine together. But from a, a still a scientific approach, or at least a rational kind of cohesive approach, but that allows for that intuitive and that mm. spiritual kind of perspective on things, just opening the door, you know, yeah. just opening up our minds more. Yeah, cool. So, I mean, I was, I, I came from the military. I was atheist, no God, like, look at the dinosaurs. It was just very, you know, that was my path. And then yeah. like, I, I'm probably one of the most spiritual people that, 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 you know, there are. And what I mean by that, I think everything's spiritual, but I've seen things that you just cannot ever explain with anything. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I, I'm sure, you know, Dr. Joe, I've been through all of his courses and programs. And again, mm -hmm. even during those, I've seen things that you just, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And yep. so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so convinced and I, I struggle to not, not convince other people, but to like, I want other people to feel the magic because mm. I, as a coach, I see a lot of people that are still trying so hard and they, they aren't fulfilled. And it sounds similar to your journey. You're like, what's the missing component? And I, for me, I'm, I know what it is. I'm like, it's, it's, it's your spiritual side. Like get in touch with that, <laughs> um, right. you know, and, and, but yeah, I mean, it's not like, I guess it's not our job to, to force them. They have to find that on their own. But, sure. but what I want to ask now is what's the, what's the craziest experiment that's happened in the last hundred years or so that has, um, so it's from a science point of view, but it's, but it's com almost confused scientists to the point of, wow, there must be something else. I've heard of a few, but I would, I would love to know if there are ones I haven't heard of. <laughs> Uh, well, one of the ones I think that's super crazy and, and perplexing to some, you know, the scientific minds, at least the old classical viewpoint of the world, was uh, some of the quantum entanglement experiments where it, it transcended time, not just space, right? So they, for example, they would take um, particles uh, like like photons or electrons, and then they'd split them. So they'd come from the same source and then they'd split them and they'd take them in different tracks. And so then in quantum physics, they should be entangled. <clears throat> and for those who don't know, entanglement means like, um, it's almost like they're two sides of the same thing. Maybe they're, they seem like they're separated from our perspective in this 3D world, but if you do something to one, it automatically and instantaneously affects the other one. And so they are, interlinked, you know, through some quantum space that it transcends our three-dimensional space. And so they took, you know, these particles on different tracks and, um, and then they, you know, they changed maybe the polarization of one of them, but didn't yet measure it. And then they 
took and measured the other one at some point, and then uh, later then measured the first one. And then they saw that there was a retro, you know, there was uh, a link, even though they were measured at different times, right? And so it was, it was almost like a future measurement uh, affected something that happened in the past. And um, not just the past affects the future, but they saw it work the other way as well. So that one was pretty crazy. Um, I mentioned Dean Radin a moment ago. He, uh, through the Institute of Noetic Sciences, they had done some also double slit experiments. And I thought one of them was like, oh my God, that's like a smoking gun uh, kind of result that they just received, where they had people from all over the world um, would sort of like log into their system and they'd be told, okay, you're going to focus on, um, you know, the, the, it was a wave particle duality thing, right? So they were setting it up to see the, uh, I think they were setting it up to see it as waves. Mm -hmm. And um, they did not put any detectors on the, the two slits. And if it goes through the two slits as a wave, they should see an interference pattern, which is typical of wave behavior. But we also know from science that if they set it up a different way where they put detectors on the two slits to see which slit did it go through, then it changes the behavior on the other side where it shows up as particles. So in this experiment, I believe, if I'm recalling the details right, they, they instead of um, putting the detectors on the slits, they said, okay, we're gonna detect it as a wave. But then they told the, the, the users on the other end to use their consciousness and their intention to force, the part, force a particle view, mm -hmm. to, to act like they're observing it through the slits. Mm -hmm. and, and then they would detect and see what happened on the other side. Now, it wasn't the same for all users. Um, and what they found was that the more experienced they were at meditation, the more they were able to bring their consciousness to a very strong coherence and strong intention when they were then remotely trying to uh, affect the result. And they did, they saw an effect that created particle-like behavior. Yeah, well. And, um, and, and it didn't matter how far away they were, you know, they could have been on the other side of the world. So it showed no non-local consciousness affecting uh, and basically making the quantum potential shift into particle view instead of wave view, even though the physical experiment shouldn't have been able to do that. Now, I think if they took it one step further and they um, had the users try to sway it going more through the right slit versus the left slit, now they could really show if it's possible, you know, they could really show how much consciousness could actually direct the wave, not just influence what type of um, manifestation it is. So yeah, there's some there's some good research that's out there. So it's again, not maybe not as well known some of it. Yeah, yeah. And for anybody watching or listening, um, hop on YouTube and look up double slit experiment. That's where I'd say to start. And this will start making sense. I had some of these questions down to you. I, I, one of them was how, how does something become entangled? And you talked about it at that like really micro level, the quantum level of, of like, uh, an electron or a, a photon being split how does how does that like how does that affect us as human beings H how do you draw the dot from a from a photon of light to a human i mean is it even relevant it could be so um it's not just when they originate from the same source uh there's also physics that says that if two particles ever interact with each other then they are entangled 
from that interaction as well. So you could think of any, any photon of light or any particle, you know, neutrino, uh, an electron, a photon that comes to us from the sun, for example, as it flows through our body, it interact, if it interacts with us in any way, then it's entangled with us. Um, so you could also think of as, as we as humans come together, if we achieve like enough of a coherent state or enough of a deep bond, you know, a lot of times people can um, maybe have had this experience where they've had somebody that they really was a loved one in their life and they felt really close with. And then that person maybe was thinking about them and then they, they came to their mind and then all of a sudden that person called them, right? Mm -hmm. And there's this sort of this um, almost like a consciousness entanglement that happens there. Uh, when, when we've really connected at, at deeper levels and interacted, there can be some entanglement of our field because we're not just these bio machines. We are also energetic beings. You know, we have electromagnetic fields that come out around us. We have biophotonic, you know, photon fields that come out around us. There's all this energy that's happening in our, in our field around us, not just within the physical body itself. And then you can also think even all the way back, um, I mean, some physicists, like you, you find this in some of Michi Yukaku's work where he talks about if, if ultimately every particle came from a big bang singularity at the beginning of the universe, then every particle is entangled with everything else that came out of that big bang. So, and to some degree they are still entangled. It's just that now you have this like, um, numbers game. So there's a lot happening and a lot of interactions happening. So, you know, it's like a lot of static or a lot of ripples on the sea mm. these days. So to have a really big effect on that entanglement field, you have to have a bigger wave or bigger impact. Uh, and that is only achieved through coherence and a lot of energy. Um, but I do believe that consciousness can achieve that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, share a quick story with you. So my, um, my friend in New Zealand was doing special forces selection in the military and he was got he you know he messaged me hey I'm you know I'm going in I won't talk to you until I finish you know hopefully I pass and this it was like four days long and one of the the evenings I was going to bed uh, in Australia and it was about 9 p.m which made it about midnight in New Zealand and I sat on the edge of my bed and it was I love this work that we're talking about now and so I sat there and I, I sort of meditated and prayed and sent him what I wanted him to receive, which was like, you know, keep going, don't give up, you can do this. And I sat there for about five minutes and I was just really um, in this really beautiful state. I went to bed and then a few days later, he's like, hey, just finished, you know, I, you know, I passed. Um, and he's like, the most bizarre thing happened. He's like, it was, a, it was midnight um, and you just jumped into my head. And, I, <laughs> and he's like, he, these were his words. I hadn't said anything to him. And he said, it wasn't a thought. He's like, I wasn't thinking of you. He's like, you came in and there was nothing I could do about it. And you were just there supporting me, encouraging me. And I got goosebumps all over my body. Nice. Yeah, it yeah. was. Uh, <laughs> these are the experiences I've had, which you just, it's not coincidental. And you just yeah, you can't make that up. right? You, just, <laughs> no. you don't make stuff up like that. So that's very cool. Yeah. Good. Well, you have a good projection of your consciousness then and, and uh, the intention and the clarity you had in the meditation. And yeah. Yeah. So that's the kind of stuff you can find more evidence of for sure. Well, my question, because I also spent a whole weekend once trying to bend a spoon, but I couldn't do it. And so have you seen anybody that's been able to affect the 3d world in any way like that 
Um, well, certainly I know there's like Uri Geller, he's very, very famous and well-known, is going around teaching a lot of spoon bending stuff. And um, so, the, I mean, the spoon bending stuff, I mean, even my my dad did it at one point um, and he still holds the, he still has the fork. It's like his prized fork. <laughs> he didn't bend it, but he twisted it all the way around. And uh, you know, it's all with his hands. Well, with the mind, but then you ultimately still had to, you know, help it a, a, a little bit, right? You had to help it, but it, you shouldn't be able to just bend a stainless steel fork, you know, without breaking it or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So for it to have gone into sort of this liquidy sort of malleable state through consciousness or intent through just a little bit of sending energy to it and then be able to just twist it or bend it. I mean, that's, mm. you know, that's some interesting evidence there. Um, I mean, there's, you know, I'd have to really go in and shift into that mindset of, well, okay, what, where's that evidence? I know it's there. It's just, I remember, not... I think in one of the forewords when in Dr. Joe Dispenza's book, Greg Braden said he went into a cave and there was a man that had pressed handprints. Have you heard of that? Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of Greg Braden's work. There's, there's some amazing healing work also that, you know, miraculous healings is probably a really good example of various manifestations. I mean, people, uh, you know, you can watch some videos where there've been like Eastern Taoist, you know, Qigong masters that are, you know, doing some chants and healing and intention and sending it into somebody. And you can watch on the ultrasound, the tumor that they're trying to clear the tumor, just reducing and reducing, reducing to then when there's no more cancer left in a person. Um, you know, so there's definitely that kind of stuff and it's not placebo effect, right? You, you can, you can see, uh, the, the, the physical evidence of that reduction and that would be pure intention and spirit, you know, and consciousness manifesting a result into the physical. So I think with healing, miraculous healing work, uh, that is probably where you're going to find the most evidence for this mm. kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 Right. And so that, that tumor that's shrinking, is it real time or is it over a period of months? No, it's in real time. I saw a video where it's in real time happening and they, you know, they, they, you know, you could see it, you know, as they're working it in just a, like 30 minutes worth, you know, you can just see it reducing and reducing, reducing. That's really high power, you know, energy work coming in. Um, but you can also see, you know, lesser cases of that where it's over a couple of months just through intention and visualization. Right? It's, but it's really the power of our will and our, our willingness to discipline our consciousness to go in that direction and not get into the fear. Is this the same as collapsing the wave function so your intention is to observe the thing differently and so therefore it becomes different we could talk about as collapsing the wave function um you're you're using mind to really create a result out of the quantum field of possibilities another way of talking about it might be we're shifting consciousness into a parallel timeline or a parallel pos mm. possible you know way in which things unfolded and so we're just shifting into that new timeline and, and those parallel realities are are happening all simultaneously right now right here in, you know inches in front of our nose or millimeters in front of our nose they're just happening at different frequency levels different vibrational levels and you know, there's, I mean, some scientists, I don't know that this is really the right answer, but some scientists say that at any moment where you had a choice of 
you know, the wave function becomes collapsed in this way or that way, um, what happens, they call it decoherence, you know, that, that the reality actually splits into both options and both exist, but in, in slightly different frequency levels, they've decohered. And so, um, you know, you have parallel realities happening. And so you'd have like, I think it's a bit much because it, it ends up being infinite parallel realities happening because of all of the infinite, you know, possible ways in which things could manifest. But it's an interesting idea. It's an interesting concept. And that's just coming out of actually the physicists who don't want to believe in spirit yeah. <laughs> are talking about decoherence um, because they're trying to explain away all the phenomenon that, that come with the approach of no consciousness actually does make a difference. We, the observers, do have have a participatory role to play, not just a passive role uh, to play in all of this. And um, yeah, so you know, it's pretty fascinating stuff out there. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And so to shift timeline, you ultimately just shift your frequency. Your, your frequency and your is, focus on a different reality, maybe. Yeah, and is because people talk about it often, um, like you know, you need to change your vibration. Is that vibration measurable? And how is it measured if it is? Mm. Uh, yeah, it's measurable through um, your brain waves, for example. Mm -hmm. So when you get deeper and deeper into a meditative state, your brain waves go through measurable shifts from like a beta frequency, which is like operating at 13 to 35 hertz or beats per second and you know the neural oscillations that are going on and then as you go deeper and deeper in meditation it's your brain waves actually slow down but then you your your subjective experience tends to be that you're feeling less and less like in your body and identity and more and more in this unified field mm -hmm. and more and more connected to spirit or, you know, higher realms or the visions, you know, the colors, you know, an angelic being, you know, something kind of comes into that visionary experience. Uh, so that's one way it's been measured. Another way, again, the GDV uh, that has been developed by Russian scientists uh, Krokov, it's also been able to measure energy fields. And when somebody comes into a more coherent state or they start sending out the healing energy or they start, you know, doing something that's, that's pushing that spiritual energy out, they can measure significant shifts within the field. And, um, you know, Joe Dispenza uses some of these devices in his uh, workshops and, and so forth, where they have a Sputnik and they do, they measure, you know, the, the, the shifts in the field, especially when you have a collective entrainment process that's happening between all the people who are there and they're, you know, all doing this meditation together, or they're, you know, doing some, you know, other exercises together and, and they're learning how to shift their frequencies, uh, you, they can detect a difference in the atmosphere of the room or the, yeah. the vibrational energy of the room. Okay, cool. Because I mean, a lot of people would say that's woo-woo, but science is saying look it's measurable we can measure your vibe right we more and more science is, is showing that we can measure it uh biophoton fields are another way you know the part of the problem i don't know about um in australia but in the u.s you know there's there's not as much of this research happening they just they don't fund it right so a lot mm -hmm. of what research gets done within the mainstream institutions is based on where the money's at and what they'll fund. And that often has to do with either defense money or technology driven money, or, you know, can we make a new startup off of this research, that kind of thing. So yeah. It's very money driven. 
But in, um, in Europe and in Russia and even in like Japan and some other parts of Asia, they, they are more interested in some of these alternative things. And they've done quite a lot of research on biophotons, for example, or you, know, you even have both in Russia and even the CIA, they did a lot of experiments at one point around um, you know, telekinesis and uh, remote viewing and all of these types of things. And they've, they've verified that it's real, you know, that it is a real phenomenon. And uh, so it's, it's just, the evidence is there if you want to look for it. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> Nikola Tesla said um, along the lines of we'll make 10 times the advancements, you know, in the next year that we have in the last hundred years, if we look at um, energy vibration. Non-physical yeah, non-physical things versus just physical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Energy, vibration, frequency, yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. Ex I'm excited so, for that to happen. And, and a lot of this, a lot of this is, you know, if, if people are subscribed to Gaia, they can go and check out my mystery teaching series, especially season one and season two, we really get into a lot of the science behind it all. Greg Braden stuff, Joe Despenda stuff, Bruce Lipton stuff. It's all there. Like it's, it's there to be discovered for people who want to explore more into it. Uh, but, you know, if you're just doing Google searching or just trying to find it on YouTube, you're going to have a, a much more mixed bag because there is a lot of less, it's less vetted. Let's just say that <laughs> I think anyone can say whatever they want on those, those forums. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a, like a really great thing uh team if you're not on Gaia it's you know if you know Netflix it's 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 the Netflix for people that want to understand this world that we're talking about now and if you're listening to this and enjoying this I would highly recommend you get to Gaia and watch Teresa's series Mystery Teachings um I love it I've watched it twice now and I highly recommend you do that so I know we've, we, we don't have too much longer left but I want to talk to you a little bit about the the hermetic principles and I think to lead into it, can you explain a little bit about the Hermetic teachings and then I'll, I'll have some questions, I'm sure. Okay, so the Hermetic teachings are said to go all the way back to Hermes Trismegistus, which is maybe as far as 8,000 years back. Um, and Hermes was said to be like this man or God of wisdom uh, who brought us science and uh, study of the stars, like astronomy, astrology, uh, alchemy, writing, you know, he brought a lot of the wisdom and the mathematics and the sacred geometries and so forth to humanity. Um, and so the hermetic teachings are the oral teachings that have been passed down through that hermetic lineage. And they, um, so in the Western mystery school tradition and, and in the modern mystery school, especially, we really dig pretty deeply into these teachings. And so we work with things like the Corpus Hermeticum, where there's a book called the Hermetica. You also have um, things like the Asclepius uh, chapters. You have the Divine Pymander. You have um, more recent hermetic teachings were written down in a book called the Kybalion, which is about the seven hermetic principles written by three initiates. You know, they don't really give their names, but three initiates of the Western mystery school lineage. And, you know, I find that hermetic teachings can go really, really spiritual, but very deep, very alchemical. So like a lot of actually science came out of the tradition of alchemy. And so the alchemists were the original scientists, uh, but they were all also um, their whole her teaching and how as a formula 
and we can work with that formula to speed it up. So we're um, in the hermetic teachings. Did all that come through? It was a bit broken up. So I'm going to ask, you, can, can okay. you say it again, please? Yeah, no problem. I got it. I, um, um, I think it, it was when we started talking about the original scientists were alchemists and where they, how it kind of transitioned. Yeah. Yeah. So those original scientists were from alchemy, right? They, they were alchemists and the alchemists based much of their framework on hermetic teachings, as well as observing nature and seeing that there is this pattern, this formula of transformation in nature that, that drives and guides evolution. And that if we can learn what those rules are, what that flow and that pattern of nature is, then we in our creative divine you know, abilities, we, in our intelligence, we can engage with it, we can learn to harness it, and we can therefore speed it up. So that's the premise of alchemy, but it's also, you know, where science and, and medicine and all of these things emerge from. Uh, so yeah, the hermetic teachings are very deep, very vast, uh, but also scientific in their way of understanding the universe and nature and us. Yeah, and, and do we know where Hermes got his information from? Well, Hermes was said to be um, like a, a, a priest or an initiate of the Egyptian mysteries all the way back to Toth. Uh, Toth was said to be the god of wisdom from the ancient family of Ra, which were probably extraterrestrials that came and visited uh, and helped humanity to make a leap in I think knowledge they need and advancement. To, I think they need to come back and help us again. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Maybe they already are. They're just not ready to make a mass appearance just yet. Yes, I, I do hope so. And, <laughs> and but Hermes also was said to have these conversations with something called Poimander, which was like mind, you know, the mind of the one mind, the mind of the universe. And so some of it was also spiritual visions and downloads that he then just transmitted to his students. Yeah. It was a little bit of both. Yeah. And, and, can we can we follow because I, I know of the emerald tablets can we follow mm -hmm. it back or I feel like there's a bit of history missing that's what I'm trying yeah. to say like can, can there is <laughs> where, where did it go where did that gap go between the 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 these ancient teachings and where we are with the modern world well you know they didn't really disappear they just went underground uh and there's reasons for that so the like the western mystery school tradition you also have eastern you have different mystery school traditions but the the lineage that i come from the western mystery school tradition it was always an oral tradition right so oral meaning we're gathered in person sharing physical and auric space and from the mouth of the teacher to the ear of the student the teachings the, the hidden teachings are revealed and but sometimes that's not just about knowledge being revealed it's about the energy being transmitted. It's about the experience. It's about, you know, you can only really come to understand it by experiencing it directly. And you have to be kind of there in person going through a process being guided, you know, you can't just read it out of a book. So with the oral teachings and these ancient traditions, um, for a long time, you know, it was through storytelling or maybe mythology, you know, sort of the myths and, and legends and fairy tales that we told along the way. Sometimes it was through song. Um, other times it was directly through the teachings. But there were times on the planet, especially in the Western, you know, in Europe and so forth, where it was not safe to be open about, 
you know, believing something different from what the dogma of the church was saying, right? So they had times of inquisition and, and witch hunts and all kinds of stuff that drove these types of teachings underground. So, and then history is written by the victors. So when you're relying on history to tell you the story, well, there are chapters that are written out of history because certain powers that be don't want people to know about that. And so they just erase it from history. Mm. You could even see that all the way back to ancient like Egypt, where you had, um, they, they kept a lot of records of like the pharaohs and the priesthood and so forth and who was what and what was their legacy and so forth. But there was a couple pharaohs um, or kings or queens who were maybe not popular with the establishment of the you know priesthood or you know whoever the politicians whatever and then as they got chased out uh, or even assassinated they were then chipped off of the walls that recorded their existence or their legacy mm -hmm. and then in later um, in later dynasties they weren't you know they wrote new ones but they left them out so this is not a new thing to have these gaps in in history and we have to sort of find the little puzzle pieces and put them together but within the mystery school traditions they've the oral teachings have been preserved it's just that they were underground for a while they weren't accessible because it just people weren't quite ready or the society wasn't ready even if people were ready it's just like there wasn't a level of tolerance that was needed but now they're coming out again and we're living in a very fortunate time on the planet where we do have access to these ancient spiritual teachings and not just the teachings we have access to the path of initiation the empowerments that come from that um, the awakenings the activations there's all kinds of, of tools and, and empowerments that we can take advantage of at this time in the planet because the doors have been opened again for uh, access to these mystery teachings and initiations. And what would you recommend to someone who is listening and was curious about this stuff? How's it, what are the profound changes you think when you train people and you take them through your teachings, what are the profound changes people can expect from understanding this wisdom? Wow, well, um, it's not something to expect it's something to come forward to with an open mind and you know i have almost no expectation like i'm empty i'm I've, i'm just coming knowing i need to be here right so i'm open i'm ready to receive whatever that is and then when they receive those teachings but it's actually you know the teachings really help shift our mind and open it up to possibilities we never had even considered before once your mind starts to get opened up to other possibilities it's like a slew of questions start coming out and then that slew of questions and there's this thirst to know more and it kind of propels you forward to seek even deeper answers um, so that right there just expands your mind and expands the possibilities and you know you start to shift your identity of who you are because what you thought reality was about now you're realizing oh my gosh there's this whole other dimension to things and and so who am I now in relationship to that and if you can start re realigning your identity with higher possibilities that changes everything in terms of what you think is possible in your life. Um, and, and then when you also take that even further with tools of empowerment and practices that you can do to help you learn how to harness your energy, um, how to strengthen your, your ability to affect um, the process of manifestation, 
when you can uh, open your, your consciousness up to receiving higher guidance and you're not just operating anymore from a personality level of thing or indoctrinated level of, of programming, you start to break free, right? So I find that this, this, these tools in this path of initiation actually sets you free to really be who you are and to, as you mentioned before, you know, experiencing the magic of life and the magic of that transformational journey and um, the healing process. And it's not always easy, right? Going through some of that healing and digging into some of the darker aspects of the self so that we can move past them can be, you know, challenging. But when you do, it's like you're liberating yourself from those influences of your past. And, and it's like the, the whole world of possibility opens up to you from that point on. Yeah, I, I asked that question with a purpose and you nailed it because when I take people through coaching and we go through values work and, you know, some people want money, some people want relationships. And when you'd go like, why, what's the purpose? Almost everybody gets, they just want freedom. And mm. you, you said it, you're like, you liberate yourself and you become free. And I've experienced it myself. And it, I, I think true freedom is, is not about anything tangible. It is a way of being. And, and when mm. you said that, it kind of confirmed it for me. And so Again, I recommend anybody that's listening to go and connect with um, Dr. Teresa Bullard because freedom, which is truly your highest value, I know it, I secretly know mm -hmm. it, can, can be done through the work that she does. And so I've got one more question for you before we round this up, which is, okay. I feel like everything is, is pointing back towards oneness, but I also understand in the 3D world, we have polarity and duality. How do you personally deal with that? Are we living in a world of survival? Are we living in a world of oneness? Are we living in both at the same time? And it's just probably you shouldn't think about it. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that depends on where your perspective of who you are is, right? So if your perspective of who you are is coming from that eternal spirit, that eternal being, then we're living in a world of oneness and we're just, you know, here in a virtual reality simulator having an experience, right? But your true self is back there in that oneness. Um, if your identity is wrapped up in who I am is this body, this life, then you're going to be living in an experience of duality. Now, why are we here in this experience? Well, I think that that duality gives us opportunity for contrast, opportunity to learn. We have some level of, a, of necessity and, and also opportunity and freedom to choose. How are we going to, you know, are we gonna choose to do things that are gonna lead towards our progression and towards the fulfillment of our dreams and our joy and our love and our passion and the things that we really um, hope for in the depths of our being? Or are we going to choose to do things that are driven by fear, or driven by anger, or driven by, you know, doubts or insecurities? Like, where are we coming from? Are we coming from our higher self? Are we coming from our lower self? And those choices lead to results. And those results, you know, feed back to us, was that really a good choice or not so good choice, right? So we learn from that. And hopefully, We'll come to a certain level of maturity. Hopefully, we'll come to a certain level of empathy and deeper understanding, and um, maybe even down the line, wisdom. If we really, you know, start making better choices, and you know, like you are and I am, you know, we've we've really tapped into where that core sense of joy and freedom is coming from, and 
when we have that and we're so grateful for that, then we want to help other people have that too. We want to serve in some way and help awaken others to that empowerment and that possibility for themselves. And through that process of service um, and helping others in that way to be empowered, there's more wisdom that comes from that, right? So it's, you know, we're meant to be transcending the duality while being faced by the duality at the same time. We're meant to find the balance point, the middle way between the two. It's not all this, it's not all that. And uh, rise above this dualistic thinking of us versus them and separation and um, you know all the things that we see really ruling our, our world right now uh, that just create more chaos, right? So we need to find the balance point between them. Beautiful, I think that is a fantastic way to wrap up this episode. So, um, for everyone that is that has got to the end of this journey with us, to follow Dr. Teresa Bullard, the best place is to go to her website, which is correct me if I'm wrong, but TeresaBullard.com. Yep. And that is <laughs> Teresa with an H, T-H-E-R-E-S-A-B-U-L-L-A-R-D. Yep. Dot com. And you know what? Get excited because later this year she's bringing out her 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 book, which is full of what we've talked about today. Is that true? Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be um, related to a lot of what I delivered during the uh, season one of Mystery Teachings. It's all about the, the deep physics and the metaphysics, a lot of the hermetics and Kabbalah and alchemy and how they weave together uh, to help us really understand how to make that shift in consciousness uh, towards a more quantum paradigm, a new paradigm. And it's a journey of discovery along the way that really tries to synthesize uh, this whole um theory of you know, <laughs> bridging science and spirituality together so right now the working titles we're looking at summer 2021 as a release date and the working title at the moment is through the hologram a portal to quantum consciousness oh it sounds juicy yeah <laughs> <laughs> so team um head to the website subscribe to the newsletter you'll get notified when the book's out grab a copy of the book because it will lead you um it will open you up as she said herself so I just want to thank you personally um, for joining us here today and really for your time and just sharing years and years and years of wisdom. So thank you very much for being on the show.